that truth ought to thrill us. Thrill us beyond words because it tells us that there is hope for all people. Hope for all people. People who, like the shepherds of Christ's day, have been too busy for religious observances. People like the Pharisees who were so caught up in their religion and self-righteousness. Churchy people who think that they're Christians, but they're not Christians. People like the Gentiles of that day, as opposed to the Jewish people of that time. The Gentiles who often practice immoral, shameful behavior. See, the measure and the message of Christmas is that Christ came into the world to save people. The hustle and bustle of the Christmas season crowds out any time for people to stop and think about the real reason for the season. In their desires to give and get that perfect gift, they cannot see themselves as lost sinners in need of a savior. That's why it was so important that Jesus' birth announcement was made to the shepherds. They had the time, the attitudes, and the sense of being shunned by society to make them receptive to this wonderful proclamation by the angel. They no doubt stood in awe as they looked down at that newborn baby. This was the long-awaited Messiah, Christ the Lord. You've tuned in to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater. Steve is taking us through a study from Luke chapter 2 of the Messiah's birth announcement. Today, Pastor Steve will develop the thought that this announcement was for all people, not just the Jews. Here now is Pastor Steve. Now, the first fact, the first important fact about the Christmas message that Luke tells us is this. It is a message intended for all people. All people. Verse 8 says this. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, of all the people that God could have announced the birth of Christ to, he deliberately chose to announce it to shepherds. And that's very significant. It's fascinating. In fact, it's, it's something that we need to think about because in that society, in Jewish society, shepherds were looked down upon as absolute social outcasts. They were not revered people. They were not exalted at all. In fact, the only people considered lower on the social scale than shepherds in a Jewish culture were lepers. Lepers. Now, why did shepherds have such a poor reputation in Jewish society? It's because their constant work of tending to sheep kept them from observing the Sabbath which was so important to Jewish people. It kept them from observing the Sabbath as well as all the other customary Jewish laws of ceremonial purification. They they couldn't do that. They couldn't get to a synagogue. They couldn't get to the temple in Jerusalem. Shepherds had to work seven days a week. They couldn't take any time off from the sheep. That made it impossible for them to keep up with all the man-made legalistic rules and regulations developed and imposed by the Pharisees. Upon the people. Therefore, they were despised by the religious establishment in Israel for failing to keep these religious observances. And in addition to their lack of participating in Jewish religious life, shepherds were held in contempt by the spiritual leaders of their day simply because they were not schooled in the law of Moses. They didn't have time to be educated. Under the Mosaic Law, they certainly knew some things about the law that would have been told them word of mouth, but they weren't schooled in the Law of Moses. And so, in a society 
that, that put high value on religious practices and education and knowledge, Jewish shepherds were considered ignorant and irreligious. In fact, shepherds were, had such a poor reputation among their fellow Jews that they weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law. Why? Because they weren't considered trustworthy enough to tell the truth, nor were they considered smart enough to understand the real issues. So the shepherds of Bethlehem who were watching over their sheep that night that Jesus was born were not among among the honored and the elite of Jewish society. Far from it. They were the lowest. They were considered the lowest of the low, despised, ostracized, spurned by their, their own countrymen. Yet it was to these disdained shepherds that God announced the birth of his son. Why? Why would God bypass the religious leaders of that day and announce the good news of Messiah's birth to a bunch of social outcasts, men who, who didn't even observe the Mosaic Code? Here's the answer. Because right from the beginning, God wanted it to be understood that the Christ, the Messiah of Christmas, came into this world to save people just like these shepherds. People who were humble enough to know that they were sinful, and unlike the religious leaders of that day, were not going to be blinded by inflated views of themselves as righteous people. See, the religious leaders of that day, for all of their religious talk and all of their rigid observations, they were self-righteous men. Self-righteous men who really were not interested in the Word of God, really were not interested in the birth of the Messiah. What they were interested in was making a good impression that they were devout. That's what they were interested in themselves. That's all. They were so caught up in the details of their legalistic religious observances that they didn't really care about the scriptures. They didn't care about honoring the Lord. How do we know this? And we know this from what we've studied in Matthew's gospel. We've studied it for, you remember, six and a half years. So we know that. But I think the best illustration of their apathy, their indifference towards religious matters, biblical matters, was back in Matthew chapter 2. We were told the story of the wise men who came from the east, they're looking for the infant king of the Jews. They come to, to Herod, and he doesn't know what this is about. So he goes to the, the priest, he goes to the schooled religious leaders of Israel, and he said, where is the Messiah to be born? They say, oh, that's not hard. We know that. Micah 5 tells us that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. Now, they understand that there are wise men who have come from the east looking for the Messiah, they understand what the scriptures say, that he's to be born in Bethlehem, but they don't care enough to go to Bethlehem to even check it out. And as I've told you many times, Bethlehem is about five or six miles from Jerusalem. It is basically, though called another city, it is basically a suburb of Jerusalem. They were so indifferent, so apathetic, that they didn't even bother to walk down to Bethlehem and check it out. They didn't care. They didn't care at all. You see, God chose not to announce the birth of Christ to the elitist religious leaders of Israel because they were self-righteous men who did not, because of their self-righteousness, did not see a need for the Lord in their lives. They were quite content in their own self-righteousness and their own religious behavior. However, despite 
not having any formal religious training or being involved in the outward trappings of religious observances, these despised Bethlehem shepherds appear to be very interested in spiritual reality. Why do I say that? Because later we read, though it's not our study today, we read that they do go to Bethlehem. They were out in the field. The field would have not been in the village. They went to Bethlehem looking for the baby Messiah. And when last we see them in the Bible, they are praising God for this. These men certainly were interested in spiritual reality. They certainly knew they were sinners and they made no pretense of being observant Jews. Therefore, unlike the religious establishment of that day, they knew they were lacking in righteousness. Therefore, they knew they were in need of God's mercy and grace to be forgiven of their sins. And folks, that is precisely why God first told them about Messiah's birth. See, the Christmas message is for people just like these humble, outcast shepherds. Sinners who see their need for a Savior. In choosing lowly shepherds to be the first to know of Christ's birth, God was indicating to us that His Son's ministry would be to those who are lowly sinners, who recognize their lowly sinners, just like these shepherds. That's why years later the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. And that's the experience of every one of us who comes to faith in Christ. We, we understand certainly Christ came into the world to save sinners like us, and we would all acknowledge that we are the chief of sinners. Every true believer would say, there's nobody worse than me. We understand that. That truth continues to ring out today. The birth of Jesus Christ is a message for those people who see themselves as spiritually bankrupt sinners, having no righteousness, no righteousness to commend them before God, no merit of their own. That's why Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't talking about financially poor. He was talking about spiritually poor. Blessed are those who recognize that they have nothing to commend themselves before God. They have absolutely nothing in themselves. They are not righteous. Not at all. Even their attempt at being virtuous is an attempt to show themselves off. No righteousness. Isaiah said all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. None whatsoever. 1 Corinthians 1, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Jesus said that he came to call sinners to repentance, not the righteous. Now, he didn't mean by that, that that there are some righteous that he doesn't call, because the Bible says there's none righteous. What he meant is that he, he came to call sinners who know that they're sinners to himself. The Pharisees' problem is that they were sinners. They didn't know that they were sinners. But Jesus came to call sinners who know that they're sinners to himself. That's why he had such an appeal to the corrupt tax collectors, social outcasts, prostitutes of his day. These people knew they were sinful and that they needed spiritual deliverance by way of divine forgiveness. So God chose lowly shepherds to be the first to hear the birth announcements of his son to indicate that he came into this world to save people who know that they are needy, that they need him. 
And here's how it happened. Verses 8 through 10. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is, note this, for all the people. We know that shepherds commonly divided the work of shepherding into shifts. That that only makes sense. We, We know this happened. While some shepherds slept, others were on duty watching over the flock. I mean, that's just common sense. So the scene then that Luke is painting for us is that of tired, half asleep shepherds sitting around and most likely talking about the the issues of the day, probably discussing things like taxes and the Roman government's rule over them, politics, family concerns, problems, things, things of that nature. And then all of a sudden, while they're doing that, the sky was lit with the glory of God and they were terribly frightened. Now, why were these men so frightened? Well, Scripture doesn't specifically tell us, but it only makes sense that they were frightened because they understood, though not learned in a formal way, they certainly understood that Exodus 33.20 and other places in the Old Testament stated, no flesh shall see me and live. They understood that. In other words, these shepherds expected to die because they expected God to strike them dead because they had just seen his glory. And that's why the angel immediately tells them in verse 10 not to be afraid because this angel hadn't come to announce death and judgment, but rather to declare good news. And before he tells the shepherds the content of the good news, he tells them who this good news is for, who it's directed to. Notice verse 10. I bring you good news of great joy, which he says will be for all the people. Now, notice that the angel said that the Christmas message, the good news that brings great joy about Christ's birth, was for all people, not just the Jewish people. In other words, Jesus Christ came into this world not only to save Jewish sinners, but to save Gentile sinners as well. This is actually the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, verse 2, God said to Abraham, from you, though you have no child right now, I will make of you a great nation. A great nation. That is fulfilled in Israel becoming a nation. But in the next verse, verse 3, he said, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He went beyond one nation to all of the families of the earth, meaning that one of Abraham's physical descendants will bring the blessings of salvation to the Gentiles. And that one descendant was Jesus Christ. Now, that truth ought to thrill us. Thrill us beyond words because it tells us that there is hope for all people. Hope for all people, people who, like the shepherds of Christ's day, have been too busy for religious observances. People like the Pharisees, who were so caught up 
in their religion and self-righteousness, churchy people who think that they're Christians, but they're not Christians. People like the Gentiles of that day, as opposed to the Jewish people of that time, the Gentiles who often practice immoral, shameful behavior. See, the measure and the message of Christmas is that Christ came into the world to save people, regardless of what they've done in the past. Because there is no sin that Jesus can't forgive. And there is no one who is beyond being saved because of their shameful past. Christ offers hope to those who know that they are sinners and are in need of salvation and divine forgiveness. And that's why, as Luke continues talking and writing, he proceeds to tell us about the one who gives us hope. He tells us about the one who was born into this world to be our Savior. So the first important fact about the Christmas message is this. It's a message intended for all people. The second important fact about the Christmas message is that it's a message about the Savior. After announcing that the message was about bringing good news for all people, the angel proceeds to announce now the contents of this good news. Look at verse 11, please. He says, For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now with these few, these very brief words, we learn a profound truth that does tend to be lost today in all the commotion of the season, and all the commotion of commercialism that goes with the Christmas season. And it's this, the true message of Christmas is about no one but Jesus Christ. No one. And he's referred in this passage, in this verse, by three titles. He's called Savior, Christ, and Lord. Listen, I, I want you to know, it's easy for us to just look at that and pass over it, because we've, we've heard this from the time we were children, the Christmas story. But this word from the angels would have absolutely stunned these Jewish shepherds. Because this is the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for for centuries. And it's being told to them, he's arrived. His birth, they were told, was in the city of David called Bethlehem. It's the hometown of David. Sometimes Jerusalem is called the city of David, but Bethlehem is also the city of David, and it was where David was, was born. It was predicted in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that one descendant from David would be the Messiah. And as I said, Micah 5, 2, actually in the Jewish Bible it's Micah 5, 1, but we know it as Micah 5, 2, specifically predicted that the Messiah's birth would take place in Bethlehem. Not a fancy town, a rather plain, obscure village. And now, nearly 700 years after Micah's prediction, the angel is announcing to these disdained, outcast shepherds that the predicted one, the one that all the Jewish people were waiting for, he's arrived. He's just been born nearby in the town of Bethlehem. You know, it almost seems ridiculous to say this, but we all need to be reminded that the true message of Christmas is about the person of Jesus Christ, and not about all the other stuff that accompanies this time of the year, Santa Claus legends, Christmas trees, bright lights, exchanging gifts, popular 
holiday songs, family get-togethers. And I don't want to pour cold water on that. Those things are fun. They're traditional. It's all right to do that. But in the midst of doing that, let's not forget that the biblical message of Christmas is only about one person and one person alone, the Lord Jesus. The angel actually uses three words to describe him. First of all, he calls him Savior. Jesus is called Savior. Why? Because he actually saves people. He saves people. But he saves them from what? There are a lot of people confused about that today. Many people think that Jesus came into the world to save them from an unfulfilled life, to give them the best life possible. Or he's come to save them from a bad marriage or some addictive habit or feelings of emptiness or some some painful experience, some child hardship. But Jesus didn't come to save us from those earthly issues. He didn't come to fix our problems. He came to save and rescue us from our sins. That's the message of, of Christmas. Matthew 121 says, His name shall be called Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. Literally, in the original, his name shall be called Yeshua, or Joshua, which means Jehovah's salvation. He will save his people from their sins. That's why he's named Jesus. And the reason we need a Savior from our sins is because all of us have broken God's laws. All of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God's perfect justice demands that payment be made for these spiritual crimes, these violations of of his word. And the penalty and the punishment for sinning against the perfectly holy God is eternal death. Hell itself. Hell is forever being punished because we have sinned against the holy, righteous, perfect God. But Jesus is the Savior from sin's penalty, the Savior from hell, because he died as the perfect substitute for sinners. His death on the cross was the eternal punishment. It was the eternal payment for the sins of all those who would believe on him. That is to say, when Jesus was dying on the cross, God the Father was pouring out his wrath, the wrath that we deserve, on his own son, his perfect son. And the moment that we believe that that Christ's death was personally for us and we've repented of our sins and turned to him to save us, we are saved, we are delivered, we are eternally rescued from hell. See, Jesus was born into this world so that he could die as a man and be our savior. He is our savior because he is the substitute His death was the substitutionary sacrifice for us. Scripture tells us, For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only human that has ever been born with the express purpose of dying. He came to be our substitute, and without that understanding, no man, woman, or child can be saved. I hope you, my listening friend, have understood that and placed your faith and trust in the risen Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus said, He that comes unto me I will in no wise cast out. Do that today. In our next broadcast, Pastor Steve will conclude this study from Luke chapter 2. In your busy Christmas preparations, take time out to listen to this final study and prepare your heart for the true worship of Jesus the Christ. 
Verse by Verse comes to you from Lakeside Community Chapel, 1893, Sunset Point Road, Clearwater, Florida. The chapel's phone number is 727-441-1714. If you would like to visit the chapel over this Christmas season, give them a call for service times. Pastor Steve would love to meet you. If you have any questions about this message, or would just like to talk to someone about your own relationship with Jesus, call Verse by Verse Ministries at 727-239-0306. That's 727-239-0306. Thanks for listening. I'm Jerry Pruden inviting you back for our next Verse by Verse. Verse by Verse.